to 8, verses 18 to 30, and you will find it in the Church Bibles, page 1135. So that is Romans 8, verses 18 to 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Thank you very much, Leslie-Ann, for reading for us. Um, and, and thank you to David for, for asking me whether I would, I would speak in, in this series. Uh, we got three um, this week, um, and then two weeks' time, and then, th- and then third week's time. Two weeks' time, we're going to think about depression. Um, in three weeks' time, thinking about our whole church response. In between times, uh, next week, um, we've got some, some input with a slightly different evening uh, with... Um, a couple who have had reason to do lots of thinking about the issue of autism, and, uh, and they're going to be uh, speaking a bit about that as well. I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of lots of things. I'm conscious that um, there's, there's so much that could be said on this topic, um, and I'm worried about squeezing it all in. I'm worried that as I try and squeeze it all in, I'll speak too quickly about things that deserve more time, and therefore I'll speak clumsily. 
And I'm conscious that because this is a personal issue for lots of us, um, I could inadvertently tread on something that's, that's tender for you. Um, know that I don't want to do that, and I will try not to do that. Um, but please, please forgive me if, if in doing things quickly, in a funny sort of context, speaking to lots of people about um, very personal things, uh, that could happen. Uh, can I pray for us? Uh, Father God, as we, as we come to this topic, which does indeed touch uh, many of us in very, in very personal ways, uh, we, we pray for your light uh, to, be, um, to be shed upon, uh, upon these things. Uh, we pray for, for wise thinking, uh, and we pray that, that what we think about this evening, uh, and indeed over the coming weeks, would help us to be individuals and indeed a community uh, who engage with compassion and with love uh, and with wisdom um, as, we, as we work things out in our own lives um, and support others around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I said earlier on, uh, our society at the moment um, does sort of represent itself, at least in, in the West, um, in terms of feeling as though we're in a bit of a mental health crisis. Um, the, the most commonly quoted figures come from a slightly old survey now, 2014, uh, but the charity Mind, uh, for example, would refer to that. One in four experience a mental health problem each year. Uh, one in six uh, report a, a common mental health problem in any given week. Um, now, we'll come back to thinking about, well, what, what do we mean by that? Um, how are we defining those terms? But however way you look at it, this, this seems sort of remarkably um, uh, large figures. Uh, to take another sort of measure uh, of the struggles in this area and think about the use of antidepressants, which has just risen astronomically uh, over the last 30 years. You, you look at those figures and uh, you see astonishing climb um, in the number of people who are receiving a prescription uh, for an antidepressant in the UK, uh, rising now to the point where it's 16% of us. Uh, that's one in six of us uh, in the UK population. Um, the, the, the trend towards the increase um, in struggles in this area and engagement uh, with the medical profession to, to get help in this area has been fairly long-standing. Um, but there clearly was a... Um, a, a kind of a, an exacerbation uh, caused by the pandemic. Um, here are some figures uh, from um, a self-report survey um, picking up moderate to severe um, self-report symptoms of depression. Uh, the green bar is pre-pandemic and the blue bars uh, are the, um, the sort of 18 months uh, run of the pandemic. And you see a really significant uh, jump. Uh, which has, has been sustained, hasn't dropped back down, uh, at least not yet. Um, one particular group that really seems to have been affected, um, particularly during the pandemic, but, but again, that's, that's only an exacerbation of a pre-existing trend, are young people. Um, this next graph shows you uh, the number of referrals that are taking place to children and young people mental health services. Um, and again, the red line represents the start of the pandemic. Uh, and again, you see a really significant jump um, uh, in, in, the, in those referrals of children and young people. The, one of the most significant changes uh, was in uh, the number of, um, of teenagers who were struggling with eating disorders uh, through the pandemic. So uh, this next graph shows that. Um, I had a friend who was 
who works uh, in a specialist service for teenagers engaging with eating disorders. Um, and she was telling me that in a normal year, they would get about 150 referrals. Uh, she said in, in a 12-month in a period in the midst of the pandemic, uh, their numbers were up over 800. Uh, really dramatic jumps, uh, particularly in people struggling um, in that particular way. Statistics, though, kind of don't help us to think about people. So let me talk to you about two, um, two people from my past. Um, uh, Marcus was a new dad. Um, should have been um, thrilled and happy at the arrival of his uh, first child, baby daughter. Um, but he wasn't thrilled and happy. Uh, he was terrified. Uh, because over the few months since she'd been born, uh, there was an increasing rise in his mind of the thought that he would abuse her. He didn't want to abuse her. Um, the very idea of it terrified him. He hated it when the thought of abusing her popped into his head, but it kept popping into his head, and it was causing him huge distress. It was also stopping him from enjoying time with his daughter. Uh, the, the level of anxiety had risen to the point that now he avoided ever being alone in a room with his daughter. Uh, thought of changing her nappy or anything of that sort, uh, even giving her a bath, uh, was impossible for him because those would be triggers that would make him uh, uh, fear uh, that possibility even more. Huge distress, huge disruption to life. Um, in uh, uh, that experience of, of intrusive thoughts. Uh, Esther was a woman who uh, was depressed. Uh, she, um, she'd, she'd made a mistake in her work life. Um, it had led to her company losing uh, vast amounts of money. Uh, several people had been made redundant as a result, and she had plunged. Um, into a, a, a deep, deep depression, uh, which was pressing on um, into suicidal thoughts. Only the company hadn't lost lots of money, and lots of people hadn't been made redundant. Those were exaggerated beliefs that had spilled out of her depression. Her distorted thinking had taken over uh, and was exacerbating uh, the plunging of her mood. These things hurt, uh, these things are common, um, and it's right and good uh, that as a church we might think, how do we care for one another well uh, in relation to things such as these? But, but you might reasonably say, well, um, okay, hang on. Um, the, I, I can see that we should want to be loving and thoughtful about people who have struggles. I hope we would do that in our church. But, but, but why a, a Christian response to this? And why, after all, are we having a, a, little, a little sermon series on this topic? Um, after all, um, David would never imagine, would he, I guess, uh, of asking me to, to speak on gastrointestinal disorders. A little sermon series titled Healthy Guts. Yeah, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't anticipate that he would do that. Um, and yet, the truth is, when you stop and think about it, um, you might imagine that I've got more biblical justification for a talk on that 
than I have for this particular sermon series. Because after all, we've got a verse from Paul to Timothy uh, telling us uh, how we should behave in relation to our gastrointestinal problems. But where are the verses about schizoaffective disorder or obsessive-compulsive disorder or bulimia? You search in vain in Scripture to find any verses about that, won't we? So shouldn't we stay well out of it? Well, I guess you realize that my answer would be no. Um, but you can imagine how perhaps we might fall into the trap of thinking, well, yes, probably we should leave this to the experts. Um, I hope tonight's talk will, will help to persuade you why I think we should do more than just feel compassionate for people with mental health struggles, that, that there is a, a more specifically Christian response, that the things that God has to say to us and has said to us in Scripture are relevant for the way in which we respond to Demarcus and to Esther and to every other person who struggles in this kind of area, that, that there is a specifically Christian response um, and that the gospel and all that God has done speaks to these things. Uh, here's what we're going to try and do. I've uh, got sort of th three, three sections I've got to move through um, ridiculously quickly. I, I just want to begin by describing um, our mental health struggles. What, what is it that we mean? How do we define our terms? Um, th then I want to, to, to very briefly sort of persuade you that this is something that, that does connect with the Christian faith. Um, and then thirdly, provide a model that, that I find helpful in my own thinking um, and that I want to commend to you um, if, if I move through things quickly, which it doesn't look as though I'm doing very well at the moment, um, we might have a little bit of time for you to just sort of think about things together in groups and then, and then pose one or two comments or questions, um, but we may run out of time for that. Um, here's first then. Um, what, what are we talking about here? Well, the, 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 mental health the World Health Organization describes mental health, defines mental health in these terms. A state of mental well-being that enables people to cope with the stresses of life realize their abilities, learn well, work well, contribute to their community. So you can see it's a, it's a, it's a positive definition um, of, of what is good mental health. It's funny, though, um, I'm, you know, I'm having some mental health issues. You know, what we mean by that is I'm having some mental health struggles or my mental health isn't very good. Um, that's the way we tend to use it. Um, and, and a key thing for us to, to think about at the moment is where does, where does normal end and abnormal begin? At what point do we say that my mental health is now not just sort of dropped below excellent um, to average, you know, now that my mental health is, is, a, is a problem? Um, and actually, that's surprisingly difficult to work out, isn't it, when you stop and think about it? Um, when you stop and think, for example, about spiders in the bath. How are you with spiders in the bath? What do you do when you find one? Are you a pick-up spider and put-out-of-window person? Are you a get-a-bit-of-toilet-paper-and-pick-up-spider-and-pop-out-of-toilet-window person? Or are you a cup-and-card-trick person and you find yourself a plastic cup and pop it over spider, especially if it's a big spider, slide card underneath, walk to window and get rid of it? Is that your technique? Or are you a, help, there's a spider in the bath, could somebody come and get the spider out of the bath for me, please, sort of person? 
because you need somebody else to do it because you really don't like spiders? Or, or are you somebody who begins to think, you know, I really hate spiders. And I know what these spiders do. They come out of that little pluggy hole drain thing at the bottom of the bath. That would be terrible if a spider came out of the pluggy hole thingy thing at the bottom of the bath when I was in the bath. I'm not going to have any baths. I'll just have showers. Ooh, uh. If they can come out of the pluggy hole thing at the bottom of the bath, they could come out of the pluggy hole thing at the bottom of the shower. I'm not going to have a shower. I'll just wash with a basin uh, from now on. And actually, it's not just baths and, spi baths and basins and showers where spiders could come from. They could come from anywhere. They can pop up through the skirting boards. So maybe I'll get some polyfiller and I'll fill every crack that I can find in my house. And maybe actually because they could just come from somewhere else, I'll start wearing marigold washing up gloves so that I'm always ready and prepared. I take it that everyone in the room is somewhere on the spectrum that I've just described. You've got to be somewhere on that spectrum in your relationship with spiders. Now, where on that spectrum does spider phobia begin? Technically, according to the psychiatrists who, who would use diagnostic manuals to, to help them to define those things, it begins at the point where life is significantly disrupted. But, but you see that it's, it's slightly arbitrary. Um, and many of the things that we're thinking about when we talk about mental health um, are on those kind of spectrums, ranging from sadness through to desperate, profound depression, uh, ranging from feeling a bit got at uh, to profound paranoia. Um, many of these things exist on spectrums. And in a sense, where we put the dividing line and say this is normal and this is abnormal is a bit arbitrary. Um, and one of the things I'd love us to think about as a, as a church is, is to get out of the mindset of saying that, you know, that there are some of us who are normal and then there are those people who've got mental health problems. I think that's a really unhelpful way of thinking. I think it's much more accurate. I think we all have problems and struggles. We all find things in life difficult. Uh, it expresses itself in different ways from person to person. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a much better way for us to think uh, as, um, uh, as a church together. The, one of the things that has happened in recent years um, is that the way in which our struggles are being described is, is slightly being recast. Um, and many people are beginning to worry that we're, we're starting to medicalize more normal life experiences. Um, that, that if you, in a sense, if you like, where, where we cast this spectrum, um, things that sort of really don't belong um, to, to be classed as a medical problem are beginning to be cast because the, 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 sort of the arbitrary dividing line is being sort of pulled down. So somebody who really struggles with shyness um, is being recast as someone suffering from a social anxiety disorder. Um, someone who has a short fuse and who can get very angry very dramatically and very suddenly um, is now identified as having an intermittent explosive disorder. The person who's struggling to go to the death of a loved one um, and doesn't seem to be able to get over it is having a prolonged grief disorder. 
Now, my, my point, please, don't misunderstand me, my point is not to minimize any of those struggles. Um, they, are, they are serious struggles and significant difficulties. But my point is just to ask whether the, the use of a, of a medical terminology helps us, uh, whether it provides us with, with, a, with a better way of understanding that experience by pushing it out of the realm of a really difficult thing that somebody's facing into a medical problem. Um, I, I'm not alone uh, in having that concern. Um, Alan Francis was a psychiatrist who was involved in um, the production of the, the fourth version of the diagnostic manual that psychiatrists use, particularly in the States. He had this to say about the version that came after him, version five. He said, now many millions of people with normal grief, gluttony, distractibility, worries, reactions to stress, the temper tantrums of childhood, the forgetting of old age, and behavioral addictions will soon be mislabeled as psychiatrically sick. Um, uh, many do worry um, in that kind of way. Um, and part of the worry is that, is that it risks undermining uh, our own capacity to um, to respond and to feel resilient. Um, Richard Hallam is a psychologist um, who's written in, in pretty challenging ways uh, about this topic. He says this, for a person who suffers from or has to endure a woe, now, he, he captures, he, he talks about our struggles and difficulties as woes. He wants to use a very ordinary word. You know, that we all have woes in life. We all find things, difficulty, find things difficult in life. For a person who suffers from or has to endure a woe, a label of mental illness can be confusing. Their woe becomes an it, an object that must be passively accepted rather than understood and confronted as something that can be changed. I, I, I begin here to emphasize that, that many of the struggles that we're thinking about when we talk about mental health difficulties are on a continuum with normal life. Um, and if the Bible speaks to life at all, and I take it that if you're a Christian believer convinced in, um, in a God who reveals himself in Scripture, then you think that it does. If the Bible speaks to, to, to life at all, then it, then it will also speak into these kinds of struggles, that, that we're not shut off from them. We mustn't think that, oh, okay, we just have to leave these to the experts. That doesn't mean it's easy to do that work uh, of thinking, how do we speak into these kind of struggles? Um, so, so let's think about that next. H how do we make some of these connections? If, I've tried, if I wanted to say that the connections exist, how do we make them? Um, let, let me begin with a question for you. Um, if, if I put that forced dilemma um, uh, up on the screen, next one. Um, if I put that, if I forced you to choose between those two alternatives, uh, between mental illness as a spiritual issue, the solution is repentance and faith, and mental illness is a brain and biology issue, the solution is medication, um, I, I wonder which way you would instinctively move. But my guess is that most of us would instinctively move to the right, um, because that, that's the way that our culture at the moment, views things. Um, but but let, let me challenge that a little bit at, at this point. Um, 
the diagnosis of mental illness um, and the diagnosis of physical illness, that they're, they're two really rather different things. Um, so w when somebody diagnoses, when a doctor diagnoses um, a, a physical illness, um, generally there will be some sort of biological marker, um, a, a blood test, a biopsy result, a CT scan, uh, that is used um, in order to confirm the diagnosis. Psychiatrists hardly ever have that. And when a psychiatrist is making a diagnosis, they do so on the basis of the, the experiences that a person describes and the observations that other people, including the psychiatrist themselves, uh, is making. In that sense, therefore, um, diagnoses in this area of mental health are much more like descriptions than they are explanations. That they describe what is happening, but they don't provide an explanation for it. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction uh, to bear in mind. So, maybe you've seen, if you follow these things in the press, maybe you've seen in, in recent, um, the past year or so, um, that the notion that depression can be explained by a deficit of serotonin um, has been challenged, rightly so, because there isn't any reliable evidence to say that that is the cause. Um, and uh, when that came out, there was lots of, uh, the, the media got very excited about it, as if this was sort of shocking news. Um, but the, the mental health world knew that that was the case uh, long before. It, it doesn't mean that the, the SSRIs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, haven't got something, haven't got a place for use. But it's just not as simple as saying, um, I've, got a, I've got a sort of inadequately filled serotonin tank in my brain, and these drugs are going to fill it back up again. Um, that, that's just a, an unhelpfully simplistic way uh, of understanding um, what is going on. So if, if you think a little bit about the, this idea of things existing on spectrums, um, and if you think about the way that these connect with ordinary experiences, um, but these are intense forms of them, I'm not minimizing them at all. Um, but, but it then becomes pretty clear, doesn't it, that the Bible does have things to say. It, it may not use the language of bulimia or obsessive compulsive disorder um, or paranoia, um, but, but the Bible speaks into the experience of... Um, habits that won't go away, um, of despair that is overwhelming. Um, so we can make connections. Um, somebody who is, who is significantly and, and profoundly depressed um, experiences intense despair and hopelessness. Well, the Bible has huge amounts to say about hope. Uh, People who have anxiety struggles, um, a whole range, whether it's generalized anxiety disorders or obsessive compulsive disorders, um, they are grappling with issues of fear, things that are terrifying. Um, Marcus was terrified. Well, well, the Bible has lots to say about fear 
has lots to say about a father who cares for us. And Jesus speaks, and we, we thought about this a few months back when we looked at Luke 12. Um, Jesus has lots to say about the way that the confidence in a heavenly father who cares for you has relevance to your experiences of fear and anxiety. Or, or you think about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorders, and, and, and there people are profoundly affected um, by, by traumatic experiences in the past that have, that have left them with, with lots of things, but, but certainly have left them with, with a sense that, that things don't feel safe. Well, again, there's plenty in Scripture about the Lord God being a refuge, being a, a firm foundation, uh, indeed of the Lord God being beautiful as a counterpoint to the ugliness uh, of the trauma uh, that we might have experienced. Or, or you think about people with experience of addictions and speak to somebody of that, and, and one of the things that they will notice is their sense of powerlessness, the, the, sort of, the sense of being unable to stop themselves and, and how miserable and how overwhelming that is. Now, even if the connection isn't neat and tidy, and I'm not pretending that it is, um, the, the idea that somehow sin enslaves us, captures us, and we can't escape from it is, is another really powerful theme uh, of Scripture. Now, please understand that, that in, in making those very brief connections in, in the way that I have done over the last uh, couple of minutes, uh, I would... I trust that you don't think, but, but for, for the avoidance of doubt, let me say, I don't think that this means that, that, that I pluck a verse out of Romans and lob it at somebody experiencing depression or anxiety like a hand grenade. You know, take that, sort yourself out. You know I don't think that. Of course it's not simple. Um, it's not just a matter of saying, that, you know, you, you, your problem is you just don't believe enough. You know, you believe this and you'll be better. That's, that's not my point. My, my point is that the, the issues and the struggles that we are thinking about here are spoken to by Scripture. How we help people make those connections, that, that, that's a, another issue. Um, and indeed, let's, let's think, how do we do it then? Um, it brings us to our, to, our, to our topic for tonight. You may be wondering if we're ever going to get to Romans 8. Um, we're barely going to get to it. Um, and to our topic for tonight, which is embodied souls. Um, it, it's a funny phrase. It, it's a way of trying to say um, that in, in the Bible's understanding of people, um, we, are, we have a soul that engages with the Lord, but that soul is embodied in a physical frame. Um, and, and what Romans 8 is telling us, and I'm not going to look at it in any detail at all, um, passage that Leslie-Ann read could, could do a sermon series in its own right. Um, all, all I'm going to say from those verses is you can't miss the way that Paul is saying something is wrong. Uh, our world is groaning. Um, uh, Paul says that, that, that creation itself um, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth uh, right up uh, to the present time. Um, it, it's strong language to say that, that, that our world is not right. There is trouble in it. 
Um, uh, and moreover, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. There's even a, a particular groaning for the Christian believer, which seems to be associated with the, with the knowledge of the, of, the, of the gap between what I currently experience and what God has promised and what, what is going to be. Decay and struggle. Um, see how Paul writes in verse 21. Um, the hope is that creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. But at the moment, it is bound to decay. Um, and that decay and struggle isn't what God intended, and it isn't what he'll have in store in the new creation, but it is our experience for now. And I think it, it helps us make sense of, of many of our struggles, in a sense, all of our struggles, and certainly our mental health struggles. So, so here is a model that, that tries to give a picture of people um, that I find help. It's not my model. I've, I've borrowed it like just about everything else in, in my life and ministry. Um, the model begins with the heart. And it says that in, in the Bible's terms, the, 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 the real me, the inner person, um, is described in lots of ways. Uh, embodied souls, we talked all about souls, spirit, mind, all of those describe the sort of the inner person. But probably the word that the Bible uses most is heart. Uh, and the heart is the bit of us that, that um, does relationships. Um, with our heart, we set priorities. We choose this over that. Um, with our heart, we forge allegiances. We say, I am for this. Uh, with our hearts, we make commitments. Uh, the, the heart is the, the, the real me. It's the, it's the center of, uh, of our being. Um, and it, it therefore means that it's with our heart that we worship. We make the commitment, the allegiance to God, or not. We worship something in creation instead. Um, but our hearts are embodied. Our souls are embodied. That there's an inner person and an outer person. Uh, writing about the aging process, um, Paul says, we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's an inner self, the heart, and there's an outer self, the body. We're embodied. Everything that we do, you, you and I can't do anything. You're, you're listening to me at the moment, um, virtue of the fact that you've got little bones in your inner ear which are vibrating, uh, in response to the physical sound waves coming at you. You're, you're seeing things on the screen as a virtue of the light waves that are bouncing off your physical retinas. The thoughts you are having at the moment are expressed in the firing of your neurons in your, in your skulls uh, as your brains think. Everything that we do is embodied. There's a physicality to it. And that's the way that God made us. But, but these bodies are imperfect. They are in bondage to decay. And that creates all sorts of issues for us in our experience of life. Um, so a heart, a body. Um, but as well as being embodied, we are also embedded. Um, it's a funny word, but um, people like me like alliteration, so we needed two E's. Um, embedded in a particular set of circumstances. You live in the 21st century. Um, you live, unless you've traveled in, you live in Cambridge. Um, you, you, you have a, a particular, um, particular family that brought you up, particular family that you live with, 
a particular job or the experience of no job, um, a particular education. We each have our own unique set of circumstances. Um, now, we could draw another circle around this um, to represent the unseen spiritual realm. That's part of our context as well, um, and important not to, to forget that. Um, but for the moment, we'll, we'll just leave it in, in this way. Because creation isn't as it should be, because it groans, what comes at us from our circumstances often isn't good. A natural disaster can hurt us. Or the sinful actions of another person can hurt us. Sometimes it's not anybody's fault, but hurt arises because our world is decaying. Sad things happen. People that we love get ill and they die. Trouble arises in all three of these realms. My heart causes me trouble because I don't worship God as I should. And living God's way is the good way to live. And when I don't do that, it creates trouble. My body causes me trouble because it's subject to decay. And my circumstances cause me trouble because of the existence of sin and decay. All three are relevant in the experience of our mental health struggles, because all three are relevant to the experience of being a human being. You don't just have an active heart that is causing you problems when you've got mental health problems. You have an active heart that's causing you problems, whoever you are. And the mental health world t tends to think about these things in terms of nature and nurture. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Nature refers to an emphasis um, on uh, the body and biology. Um, and at the moment, the mental health world is, is, is really excited um, by, by nature. That's the focus and the attention uh, falls on the way in which um, uh, our our bodies um, are impacting us, um, which is why biological psychiatry is the dominant mode and um, psychopharmacology, uh, the use of medication in the treatment of mental health struggles is the dominant treatment mode at the moment. It's not always been that. Um, um, when I started in psychiatry in the, in the late 80s, we were at the end of a phase where actually the focus had all been on nurture, on the way in which our circumstances impacted us, the way our upbringing or our present social conditions were, were critical in the development of mental health struggles. Um, the funny thing is, though, when you think about it, that though the mental health world is quite good at noticing n nature, biology, brain chemicals, um, and good at noticing nurture our circumstances, it's, it's surprising how, in a funny sort of way, the heart gets left out. It kind, of, kind of the person, the, the choosing moral agent who is responding to their circumstances, who is responding to what's going on in their bodies, kind of doesn't have, it's as if we're entirely determined um, by, by what's happened to us, or entirely determined by uh, the particular physicality that's going on. 
and it loses sight of the person, that the, the, the way in which we are always responding to those things. And we mustn't lose sight of that. As, as I just wrap up, um, please understand that what, what I'm commending is, is that we, we notice and pay attention to all three of these. Um, that, that we don't lose sight of any of them. Um, and, and, and I don't need to know the relative contribution of each. I don't need to know that, that, that somebody's current struggles are, are 50% body, 20% circumstances, and 30% heart. I don't need that information. I know uh, that all will be at play in some degree or other. And I also know that because it's with the heart that we worship, that I want to have a particular interest and compassion and concern for what's going on in a person's heart. Uh, to help them to grow in their relationship with the Lord, uh, to deepen their love for Him. Not because I think that, that that's the issue, but because I think that that is the most critical thing uh, for their spiritual well-being. That time's gone. Um, what I wanted to get you to think about um, is whether that model makes sense to you, whether it helps you in the dilemma. Flick on a couple of slides, David. Whether it helps you in the dilemma that I set before you um, a moment ago. And to understand that either of those is an unhelpful simplification. I don't want to be saying either of those things. I want a much more nuanced understanding uh, that enables us to pay attention to, to every aspect of the model that I put in front of you. So that's the framework. Uh, I hope it makes sense to you. Um, I, um, I, I'll, I'll be around here at the front after the service, very happy uh, to pick up any questions. If it hasn't made sense to you, I'd love you to come and ask me a question um, to get it clear, um, because I think it's a, a valuable model for us to work from. Um, let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, pray that... Uh, just the, the scratching of the surface that we've done this evening as we um, try and set out a framework to, to help us to think in this area um, will prove um, to, to be helpful um, and enable us to, uh, to, to, to engage with our own struggles um, and to engage with the struggles of those around us um, in, in, in wiser ways that prevent us uh, from the kind of simplifications in any direction um, that prove um, uh, to be inadequate uh, and unloving. Uh, and uh, we, we, we pray again uh, that the thinking that we have the opportunity to do over the, this coming month uh, will help us to be a church uh, that grows in its ability uh, to love and care well um, in uh, this area of our lives. Amen.